So take a moment right where you are and you can just find your seat. Just want to share with you for a few moments out of Psalm 95. You can keep playing, that's nice. Yeah, give us a little soundtrack. Welcome, Marvin. Psalm 95 says, Come, let's sing aloud to the Lord. Let's raise a joyful shout to the rock of our salvation. <laughs> Some of you get it, yeah. I know it's warm, all this stuff. We're outside, it's beautiful, it's a holiday weekend. But listen, I wonder if we could just do that. It says, let's raise a joyful shout to the rock of our salvation. Can we try that? Here we go. One, two, three. Hallelujah. Amen. Psalm 95 gives us several reasons for why we worship, why we should be exuberant and expressive and active in our praise. And the first the, the first thing the psalmist wants us to see is that God is the rock of our salvation. He is our Savior. This expression, to be the rock of salvation, is an expression of deliverance. It's a way of saying, when everything else was falling apart, you were the reason for my salvation. You were the reason for my rescue. When everything else was sinking sand, you were the rock. When there was no fortress to be found, you were my rock. And so the first thing the psalmist says is, look, we got to shout, we got to sing, because God is our Savior. Then he goes on, he says, let's come before him with thanks, and let's shout songs of joy to him. And then he starts to give another reason. Verse 3, he says, the Lord is a great God, the great King over all other gods. The earth's depths are in his hands. The mountain heights belong to him. The sea which he made is his, along with the dry ground which his own hands form. Now here the psalmist is saying to us, not only is God our savior, but God is the sovereign. God is the highest one. You see, it's one thing to say, okay, this, this person helped me out. This person was my answer. This person was my salvation. And, and I don't know, maybe it was a fluke. Maybe it was a one-time thing. But the psalmist says, no, listen, you don't understand. The God who saved us is the God who is the sovereign over everything. This was not a fluke. This is who God is. This is what God does. I often think the psalmist point to things that they could see, like the mountains and the seas and the dry land, because so many times what our eyes see are actually pretty discouraging things. The psalmist has no illusions about being a happy, clappy Christian that ignores the difficulties of life. No, the psalmist knows what he sees. He's seen enemies. He's seen trouble. He's seen difficulties. He's seen all kinds of calamity. But there's something else the psalmist sees. He said, if I just lift my eyes up a little bit more, I see mountains. And if I just lift my eyes up a little higher, I see the skies. And so what the psalmist is doing is he's using things that are on a further horizon than his immediate reality to remind him of a greater truth. God is the sovereign king. God is the true, the highest king. Not only is God our savior, God is the sovereign. And then in verse six, you almost feel like the song gets a little quieter. 
And the psalmist says, come, let's worship and bow down. Let's kneel before the Lord, our maker. He's our God. We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hands. This is imagery that's tender. This is, if the other was imagery about God's transcendence and God's being far above everything else, this is, ima- this is imagery of God's imminence, God's nearness. We're the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. So not only is God our savior and the sovereign, but God is our shepherd, the one who's very attentive to the status of our souls, the condition of our hearts, the struggle of our lives. He's the shepherd who is attentive to that. Why do we sing? Why do we kneel? Why do we clap? Why do we shout? The psalmist says, well, at least for these reasons, because God's our savior, because God's the sovereign, because God is our shepherd. But then the psalm takes another turn. And there's a soberness to the rest of this. He says, if you would only listen to his voice right now, don't harden your hearts like you did at Meribah, like you did when you were at Massah in the wilderness. What's he talking about? This is that moment in Exodus 17 where the people of Israel start complaining, ugh, the desert. We get some moments like that in a Colorado summer. It's so hot, so dry. Imagine wandering around in it for years and years and years. They're like, God, did you bring us out here to die? Why have you abandoned us, God? I mean, it seems like a natural complaint. When I think about the hardships that some of us are going through, I think, yeah, it would be natural to say, come on, God, this is a desert. Where are you? And God is compassionate, and there's water that comes from the rock. But that seed of murmuring in their hearts began to harden them. And it began to turn them toward rebellion. And the psalmist goes on and he talks about for 40 years, this generation had twisted hearts. Listen, there's another reason we worship. It's not just because of who God is, but it's also because of what worship does to us. It's okay to say this. Worship is not just some duty that we give to God, but it's actually good for your soul. It ends up being good for your heart. The complaining, the ungrateful, the murmuring, all of that stuff. Look, there's a there's place for lament, and there's certainly lots of psalms that lament, but the psalmist knows there's a line that we cross when we move from lament into just full-on murmuring. And then it's no longer just venting. You're just full-on murmuring, and murmuring hardens your heart, but worship softens your heart. Worship softens your heart. Listen, today, some of you are going through things that are very difficult and they're very hard. I don't have a trite answer for you, but I know that what we don't want is for our hearts to become hard. What we don't want is for us to say, oh, God, this and oh, that and oh, I can't believe this and this and this, but to say, no, God, I am still going to turn towards you. And this is maybe the most important thing about worship that we miss in our day is that it is a conscious choice. It's a choice. Notice all the verbs associated with worship in Psalm 95. Sing. You can sing. Shout. You can shout. Clap. You can clap. Kneel. You can kneel. Most of us. It's associated with actions because the psalmist says sometimes your body has to lead the way and your heart will catch up. Sometimes your body has to lead the way and your heart will catch up. 
But we kind of think the opposite. We're Americans. We're like, well, if I don't feel it, I'm not going to do it. Or that's not me. I get it. Look, I get it. God works within the bounds of our personality. There are there's a whole range of how we encounter God. I totally get it. But I want to say to you today that maybe what the scripture values more than authenticity is actually integrity. That the, our inward convictions match our outward actions. Hypocrisy is not when your actions don't match your feelings. Hypocrisy is when your actions don't match your convictions. So our question today is, is God our savior? Is God the sovereign king? Is God our good shepherd? Then let's worship him. Let's draw near to him and let worship tenderize and soften our hearts. Let's stand together. The worship team's gonna lead us in a couple more songs this morning and I thought it'd be a perfect way to continue to respond by drawing near, by saying, okay, God, today I will not harden my heart. Today I will not let complaining and murmuring take over. Today I will not let bitterness be the result of my life. Today I will turn and bow down and worship and sing. I'm gonna make a choice and let my body and, and voice and mouth lead the way and trust my heart to follow. Let's worship the Lord together this morning.